Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As we look at uh, chapter 26, we'll see at the very top, it says, Offerings of first fruits and tithes. And so let's get right into the verse. In verses um, 1 through 11, we will see the offerings of first fruits and, 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 and God's provision for Israel. And then verses 12 through 15, we'll see uh, God's commandments concerning tithes. And, and then finally, verses 16 through the rest of the chapter, which uh, if you have a New King James Bible, there might be a section that kind of heads it off. From 16 through 19 is sort of like a benediction, God ratifying the law with the people and himself. Today on Truth in Christ, Pastor Rob will begin a three-part series in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 26. Because the people of Israel were saved through the exodus by the hand of God and brought to the promised land, he wanted his people to never forget his care and love towards them. The people were instructed to give an offering of their first fruits from their harvest with the promise to honor their God. Jesus became our first fruits offering because he was resurrected. There were others who were raised from the dead, but Jesus is the first fruits because he was the one who was raised and never to die again. That is our anchor. Let's listen to Pastor Rob with today's lesson. Deuteronomy chapter 26. And before we read chapter 26, I'd like to read the entire chapter to you because that's all we're going to do tonight. And... Um, but first I wanted to share with you what happened. It seems like a couple of weeks. Actually, it has been two weeks since, we've had a, uh, since I've shared from Deuteronomy. But the week, two weeks ago when we were last together, we looked at uh, chapter 25 of Deuteronomy, and it, and it talked about marriage duties for uh, surviving um, brothers. In other words, if there was a, two brothers and they were both married and the one brother died and didn't have children, it was customary in this day, and that's what chapter 25, among other things, the, uh, there was a, a law basically saying if your brother passed away and didn't have kids yet, that you would take his widow in unto you and that you'd raise up seed for your brother. So you'd be with her and she would have children. The children would be in her, uh, her husband's name who is now deceased. So it would keep them in the family. And so that was the idea behind that. And there were also miscellaneous laws about uh, fighting and um, and things of that nature about uh, just weights and measures, dry measures as well as liquid measures. And all of these things make sense, don't they? Because God is a God of justice. He wants us to be honest in all of our dealings. And so he's telling them in advance, these are the things you've got to consider. Be kind, be courteous, be fair. So you don't want to have a, 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 a weight that's heavier. You're calling it a, a certain amount of weight, and somebody else has a weight, and it's supposed to be the same amount of weight, 
but yours, because of your chicanery, is a little bit heavier or a little bit lighter, depending on how uh, things are measured that could be to your advantage. Does that make sense? And so that's the way they did things. They measured things. And so that was another thing. And then at the, in verse 17 through the rest of the chapter 25, God des- describes his, his hatred, really, of the Amalekites. And throughout history uh, in the Bible, the Amalekites have always been a, uh, a type of the flesh. And we know that Amalek was always a problem in Israel's side. In fact, uh, one of the descendants of Amalek was none other than Haman, the Agagite. He was, remember Agag in Esther, he was a descendant of the Amalekites. And so we can see... Um, and God ended up having Agag destroyed because he was uh, allowed to live. Remember Saul, or Samuel, I'm sorry, Saul, had that altercation with Samuel, the prophet, and God told Saul to go out and wipe out all the Amalekites, to wipe them all out. And so Saul did a half obedience, and he went out and he slaughtered them, most of them, But he kept back the sheep, the finest things, the finest cows, the finest sheep, and they kept Agag alive. Maybe just to sport with him. Who knows what their motivation was. And then Samuel came and confronted him and says, What is this bleeding of the sheep that I hear, Saul? You were supposed to wipe out everybody. How come all this, there's a lot, the herd looks awfully big now prior to the battle. What's going on? And uh, as a result of Saul's disobedience, the Amalekites populated even afterwards, and, and Agag um, had descendants. And that ultimately led, that one act of disobedience led to the birth, over time, of Agag. Or, and, then, and then to Haman. Haman, I'm sorry. It was Haman and Esther. And he was a descendant of Agag from the kingly line. So... You can see how one act of disobedience led to almost the extermination of the Jewish race. Do you see that? One act of disobedience. And that's the way it is with us, too. And so God is always encouraging us. And that's why the the Bible is so wonderful in telling us over and over again, making the point several times. And God doesn't waste his breath. He, he mentions things over and over again because we need to hear it. He made us. He knows what we are made of. He knows our rebellion deep within our hearts. Even on our best days, we can be rebellious. And so God doesn't waste words, and he, he knows. And so he's fair to remind us. And he makes us accountable in that. And so let's go ahead and look at verse or chapter 26, and we're just going to read the whole entire thing to get the context, and then we'll go back and tear it apart. So let's look at it. So it says, And it shall be, when you come into the land which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it, that you shall take some of the first of the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall go to the one who is priest in those days, and say to him, I declare today... To the Lord your God, that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Verse 4, Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, quote, My father was a Syrian, about to perish, and went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. And there he became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. 
but the Egyptians mistreated us. They afflicted us and laid hard bondage on us. And then we cried to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, and he looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders." Verse 9, he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land which you, O Lord, have given me. And then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God has given to you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. And when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, notice, the stranger, notice, the father, notice, the widow, so that you may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all the commandment which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given it of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us, just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. This day, the Lord, your God, commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Today, you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God, and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. Also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments, and that, you will, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. So let's go back to the very first verse there. Pretty interesting. And one of the interesting things about this chapter is that this chapter, once we finish it, we will finish the second sermon, if you will, of Moses. If you could, just for fun here, I want to show you something. In the book of Deuteronomy, there's really four different sermons that Moses had preached to the people. Remember, this new group, this, this, uh, this generation that's coming up. The old generation has passed away in the wilderness. Remember, they wandered around for 40 years in unbelief, and that generation passed away in the wilderness. Now there's these new, younger people coming into the kingdom, coming into the promised land. But look with me, just go back to Deuteronomy chapter 1, and I'm going to have you draw some lines under certain scriptures because it will help you understand the way this book is laid out. If you notice, in chapter 1, beginning with verse 5, you might want to put a number 1 there because this is the first the first address, or the first sermon of Moses. So right at chapter 5 is when he begins this first address. And then go with me to chapter 4, and go all the way to the end of chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 43, 
and draw a line between verse 43 and verse 44. And verse 44 begins the second address of Moses. It's the second sermon. And we're not going to do it tonight, but when you go back and look at this, you'll see that Moses is addressing them. It's almost like there's been some space that has gone on between these sermons, okay? And so he's setting it up, and it'll make sense to you once you read it in context. You'll see that it's a new sermon, in a sense. And so that goes all the way until the end of the chapter we're looking at tonight. At the very end of chapter 26, the very last verse in chapter 26, which is verse 19, that is the end of the second address. And then chapter 27 begins the third address of Moses. And that's going to last all the way. Turn a couple pages when you're ready. And go to 29 verse 1. Chapter 29, verse 1, immediately after, between verse 1 and verse 2. So verse 2 now begins the fourth address of Moses. And this is just a nice way for you to kind of see the outline of the book. And I love the fact that God makes his word this way. You know, it doesn't appear that way because it's separated by chapters. And sometimes the, the chapter breaks aren't, nearly, aren't inspired like the word of God is. Sometimes they put in chapter breaks where there probably shouldn't be chapter breaks. And that happens often, but in this case, this is one of them. So uh, chapter, uh, at, uh, chapter 29, verse 2, begins Moses' fourth address. And that's going to go all the way until chapter 30, verse 20. It's the very last verse in chapter 30. And chapter 31 is really not a, a, a fifth address. It's not that at all. It's really... From chapter 31 to the end of the book, it's the transition from Moses to Joshua. The transition from Moses to Joshua. And that's really the layout of the book. And that's why tonight we're going to cover chapter 26, because that really ends this second address or second sermon of Moses. And chapter 27 and 28 really go together, so we'll talk about those next week. So let's get right into chapter 26. Everybody got that? The first one was uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 5, until chapter 4, verse 43. And if you want, come and see me after the service, and I'll give you the, um, you can write them down. i got a little chart here you can, you can look at, okay? But for the sake of time, let's just go ahead and go on. As we look at uh, chapter 26, we'll see at the very top, it says, Offerings of first fruits and tithes. And so let's get right into the verse. In verses um, 1 through 11, we will see the offerings of first fruits and, 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 and God's provision for Israel. And then verses 12 through 15, we'll see uh, God's commandments concerning tithes. And, and then finally, verses 16 through the rest of the chapter, which uh, if you have a New King James Bible, there might be a section that kind of heads it off. From 16 through 19 is sort of like a benediction, God ratifying the law with the people and himself. So verse 16 through 19, it may say a special people of God in your New King James Version, if you have that. So let's go back to verse 1. It says, And it shall be when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, and you possess it and dwell in it. Remember that God was going to bring them into a land that was inhabited by Canaanites. Canaanites is kind of like a general term, and you know this. And, and, and oftentimes the Bible will include the Canaanites as a people group, but really it, it could really encompass 
a, a number of groups. Anybody living in that area, any of those nations living in that land of Phoenicia or that, you know, the, um, the, the, what we know today as Israel, there were at least seven different nations in there, six or seven different nations. And the Bible sometimes doesn't give all the names. There may be five, but there may be six. And sometimes the seventh is, in, is he'll include Canaanites as the seventh nation. But notice what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Just for the sake of time, let me read it to you. Because this is a, they were going in to dispossess a land that's already been inhabited by people. Now, in our vernacular, when we think of somebody going in into somebody else's territory and taking over their land, especially wiping everything out, it sends a, sh- a shiver up our spine. It doesn't seem quite politically correct. And I say, fooey. <laughs> and I say that because... God knows what he's doing. And why did he do this? Why did he allow them to go in? You guys have known this. We've been rehearsing this for a while since we've been in Deuteronomy. But there was a nation. Those nations had been given several hundreds of years to turn from their sin. All the time that the Israelites were in Egypt, that 430 years, God was giving this, these seven nations time to turn away from their sins. In fact, another passage in the Bible says that they weren't ready yet. The Israelites weren't ready, and God was giving them a little bit more time, and he says that the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. Meaning there, there, there's a point where God says, okay, I've had enough. I've given them plenty of time to repent. Doesn't that bother you in the book of Jeremiah? I think it's in Jeremiah chapter 7 where uh, Jeremiah, uh, God is giving to Jeremiah the indictments that he has against Israel and their idolatry. And Jeremiah, naturally as a prophet, he's going to want to pray for the people. And God stops him and he says, Jeremiah, don't even bother. Don't bother praying for this people. And that's scary for us. Because what that means is there's a terminus to our rebellion. And we don't know when that time is. Judah had a terminus of their rebellion. God allowed their, their northern ten tribes to go into captivity by Assyria in 722 B.C. And now her two sisters, Judah and Benjamin in the south, they didn't learn the lesson at all. They continued in their idolatry, looking at what happened up, up north in and, and their captivity, not even bringing it into their mind, but continuing in their rebellion. And God is telling Jeremiah, warn them, warn them. So he warns them and warns them. And finally there's a point where God says, you know what? Jeremiah just stopped praying, and only God knows that limit. We don't know that limit, and I'm so glad I don't. Because we see this in people's lives, and it's really startling. How God can allow one person to be in rebellion for this amount of time, and another person to be in the same kind of rebellion, and they last, and they live till they're 99 years old. We don't get it. We don't understand it. But God knows the inner workings He knows the heart, right? He checks the heart. He examines the heart. He knows exactly what's going on. And he knows the end from the beginning. So we don't need to question God in his omniscience and his omnipotence. God is all by himself. He cannot learn anything, and he's the master of all things. And I don't know about you, but that brings joy to my heart, especially on this side. Of things, Because I know that I'm saved. Do you know that you're saved? Do you know that you're born again? Then happy are you, brother and sister, because you know where your heavenly kingdom is. And you know what's waiting for you, regardless of how much you mess up right now. We know that we're not perfect. But it's scary to know that even unbelievers, there is a point. Believers and nations, God says, I'm going to give you this amount of time. And there comes a point when God says, I've had enough.
and then there's no going back. It's almost like the freight train is already starting to come your way with judgment. And that's what happened with Judah. That's what happened with Israel and the northern ten tribes. That's what happened to these nations that Israel was going to dispossess. They were going to kick them out of their land, and not only kick them out, but to wipe them out. In God's mercy, he allows them, man, woman, and child, to be wiped out. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, it gives us the name of those seven nations. He says, verse 1, chapter 7, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, and he's cast out and has cast out many nations before you, and he labels them here, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, Israel. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show them, no show mercy to them. And this is a God great in mercy, great in compassion. We don't understand that. We, you know, it's hard to understand. But the more I get to know the Lord, the more I realize, when I think of children, you've heard, we've said this before, how could, how could your mercy, Lord, be in, I mean, a man, a grown man and a grown woman in the rebellion, I can understand that, why you would allow them to just go in and wipe them out. But little kids, Lord. Well, have you ever considered that that little child, the Bible says, for such is the kingdom of God. And that little child doesn't even know the difference between good and, and bad. And when God allows them to be destroyed, you know what I believe? I believe that they go to heaven with their creator. It's like someone who miscarriages. If, you, if you're a woman here tonight and you've had a miscarriage, you're going to see that child again. If you've had a young son, you know, four or five years old, and he dies in some kind of freak accident, guess what? I believe you're going to see them again. It's when they get to the point where they know right from wrong and they, 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 they're accountable to that. Then things change. But until then, and only God knows, but those infants, those little ones, they are going to be in God's glory. But if, had they grown up, do you see this? Had they grown up in that culture, they would have, whenever it was that they departed from this earth, if they hadn't turned away from their cultural sin, when they died, they would have gone to hell. Does that make sense? So do you see God's mercy in it? It makes very much sense to me. And the child doesn't even know fear. In an instant, it's over. God is merciful. Never forget he's merciful. So on verse 2, he says, And that you should take some of the first of all the produce of the ground. Underline produce of the ground, please. Underline produce of the ground. Which you shall bring... From your land that the Lord your God is giving you, notice. And he says, now put it in a basket and go through the place, to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And we'll come to that in a minute, but let's go back to that phrase, the produce of the ground. As I read that, it brought to my memory a verse. And if you could, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, because there is a play on words here that I think you'll see very quickly. In this verse that we were just looking at, when it said produce of the ground, the word produce there is a specific Hebrew word, and it literally means fruit or bows or 
uh, reward. It could mean uh, fruit, uh, or it could mean your offspring. It, it could mean both of those things. But it says the produce of the ground, or fruit of the ground. And when I saw that, I immediately thought back to Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. And because it's such a wonderful chapter, I couldn't resist it, so we must go through it. So <laughs> look with me at Genesis chapter Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.